So actually these headphones that I'm using are brand new. I just got these for my birthday from the oh, nice. entire Heda family. <clears throat> and they're great. This is my first one. Uh, the first time this, you're using it? Yeah, first time for this, uh, for this podcast, a very special podcast. I hope that they, <laughs> they sound better. I mean, you sound great in my ears, so um, I'm very excited. And thank you for doing this uh, with me. I've already lost track. I want to say this is episode six now. Of my podcast. Oh, wow. And I am calling this Introducing. And today I have, okay, so this seems to be a recurring thing about how to say people's names because there's a lot of people who I think names get mispronounced or are pronounced differently at home. And I know everybody calls you Arushi, mm-hmm. but that's technically wrong, correct? Correct. Okay. You're one of the few people that pronounce it correctly. So, could so you just pronounced- say it? Arushi. Arushi. And that is, so that name comes from where? Because you guys are from up north, right? Yeah. So, I mean, we're Kashmiri, but I don't think it's necessarily like a Kashmiri name. Oh, I think it's just, I don't know, like a common Indian name, I guess. Because there are other people out there with my name that I know of. Okay. Um, So, yeah, I don't think it's technically... Kashmiri but yeah it's weird I, I always introduce myself as a Rishi even though yeah. it's not pronounced that way okay is that why do you think you do that because I know a lot of Indian people who do that and it's some people find that to be annoying that other Indian people do that like oh you know you should really be sticking true to your culture and blah 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 and don't conform to other people but is that ever bothered you it's weird because um I am probably one that like if I have a friend or someone I know who does the same thing. Like they introduce themselves in like a very American way. Like I will always call them with like the right pronunciation, even if they don't call themselves that way. Right. But so I guess I'm kind of a hypocrite because I do not call myself (laughs) Arushi ever. Um, But I don't know, like it's literally from like as long as I can remember. So I think that's why, because like, I don't even remember when the first time I ever introduced myself, like as a little kid in school, like, I don't know what the circumstances were, but, um, I feel like for as long as I can remember, I've always called myself Arushi and it's probably because people called me that. And then in my like youth of wanting to assimilate, I probably just went along with it. You actually call yourself Arushi. Yeah. I see. So then I guess that's, I think that's another side of the argument that people say, well, your name is your name and it can really be whatever you want it to be. So yeah. I guess it's okay. I think there's, I guess in my opinion, there is still some element of we shouldn't ignore our culture. And if names are, are just one way to introduce other people into that, then I guess we shouldn't, everyone shouldn't ignore it, but once in a while, maybe it's okay, which it's yeah. true for a lot of things. And like, I mean, I feel like my, I mean, my family, obviously my immediate family and all my family in India call me Arushi. Like no one is calling me Arushi who's in yeah. my actual family. So okay. I feel like, um, like you, and then like, there's a few other friends, like select, like maybe three people, other friends in my life who like called me Arushi <laughs> without, despite me calling myself Arushi. And I feel like, I mean, I like it because it's like only my family calls me that. So I kind mm-hmm. of like, it's not like I don't like it. I feel like it's kind of special. But at the same time, it's not like I expect people to call me Arushi because I introduced myself as Arushi. Okay, that's fair. Yeah. And you were, were you born in Detroit area or were you born somewhere else? Yeah, I was born in Pontiac, Michigan. Okay. So you didn't really stray that far most of your entire no. life. No, I was in Michigan pretty much forever. <laughs> Did you like growing now. up there? Um, I guess. I mean, I can't complain. It was just like a normal suburb life. I feel like a lot of us had. Um, I didn't really know anything else. Did you, what's the age difference between you and your brother again? Four years. Four years. So did you guys play a lot together? Did you force him to do stuff? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I think uh, house and doctor. I definitely forced him to do a lot of stuff. So like I did a lot of dance performances and he was forced to be in the audience 
with like a lot of my stuffed animals. <laughs> um, I used to play like teacher and I would force him to sit again with stuffed animals and like teach him like math and classes. <laughs> and then I would also be his basketball coach and we would be outside and I would be like yelling at him and like, making him do drills on the driveway. <laughs> um, oh my God. I was kind of a bossy sister, but he like, when we were younger, he was like, he like followed me around everywhere and would like do anything yeah. I said. Um, and then I feel like as we aged, especially with school, cause we never overlap in school cause of yeah. the four year difference. So I think we like ended up growing apart a little bit cause of that. Um, but yeah, we were definitely close growing up and it was definitely me uh, forcing him to do what I wanted in our games. Yeah. I mean, that sounds a lot like my sister did the exact same thing. She would make me put on shows for her and do Bollywood scenes. And I think Divya <laughs> would say the same thing that she would make her brother do a lot of things. So that's, I think you were doing your job as an older sister at the very least. Yeah. I remember then, it being fun. Yeah, of course. <laughs> and then you did, you went to DCD, right? Mm-hmm. What was my DCD what was, girl? Yeah. So what was that like? Because I, I went to a, public school, although some might argue that my public school was basically a private school, but DCD has a lot of rules and a lot of reputation. So what, what was it like? Um, again, it was like pretty much all I knew because I started there in third grade and I continued until I graduated high school. So, um, unfortunately I didn't. And then before that I was in Montessori. So like, I didn't truly experience like public school at all. Um, so yeah, I don't know. I mean, I always wonder like what I would want my kids to do. I don't really know the public school experience. Like I never actually experienced it myself. Um, I will say I had a lot of like, (laughs) uh, issues with country day, like because of all the rules and everything, like some of it just seemed a little much, um, just like, like uniforms, for example, like how strict they were. Like if you had, if you wore like a black sweater versus like a Navy sweater, like you would get like an infraction or detention or something. Or like if your shirt was on, like I was walking in the hallway and my shirt was untucked and my teacher saw and told me to turn around and go clean 10 tables uh, in the cafeteria. Clean 10 tables? uh Uh-huh. And then like one time it was like St. Patrick's Day. And so it was like a casual day if you wore green, but apparently I wasn't wearing green. I was just wearing like a St. Patrick's Day day, like necklace or something like that. And they're like, that doesn't count. So like you get an infraction or like some sort of punishment. So it was just kind of ridiculous. Some of the things like they were enforcing. Um, And I guess some could argue it's like a form of discipline or whatever, Um, but like, I still remember those moments like vividly. Yeah. <laughs> like, I'm telling you this now because I remember being like, what the hell? Like this is like so punitive and kind of condescending in a way. Um, I mean, that's borderline tyrannical. I, I guess I, <laughs> I understand to some extent if it's, you know, a uniform or something like that, but if it has to do with a creative expression, like wearing green on St. Patrick's Day and you don't, that shouldn't be <laughs> punished. In my opinion. Like the uniform is one thing, but I feel like they just took it to the next level. Like, why can't I wear a black sweater versus like a dark blue sweater? Or like, yeah. it was like your shoes had to be like a certain, um, like a certain height, like you couldn't wear over like an inch. And it was just like a lot of very, very like strict rules about what you could wear. Um, and then there was other rules too. I can't really like remember on the top of my head, but I feel like those were the ones that kind of got under my skin the most. And that was your whole schooling. Mm -hmm. You did that for a very long time. Yeah. Has that, I mean, you're a pretty messy person. I I don't, don't, it doesn't (laughs) seem like that really made a difference. What are you talking about? Like how am I messy? I don't know. I just, I, I don't think of you as somebody who is particularly worried about cleanliness. Not that you're okay. You're not messy, I guess. But you're not somebody who... I'm not like an OCD person, like in, in, I guess, well, I am in some ways, but, but that's the thing is like, I don't think, I think it was more for discipline and like listening to authority and like doing what you're told instead of like 
being a person that dresses in a certain way. Um, I don't know. So do you think that had any sort of like negative impact on you or was it positive? Um, it's hard to say. I feel like we were all in it together. So that was kind of nice. Cause I feel like, <laughs> <laughs> like you bond with like pe- your friends in high school over all of these okay. like stupid rules. Um, and I feel like the experience in general probably shaped me for the better. Like, I feel like in all things in life, when you're kids, like when there's like rules and strictness, like I remember my dance teacher was super strict too. And it kind of just like forces you to take things seriously in some way. And, um, I don't know, improves your work ethic and other aspects of life. So sure it probably helps. Yeah. It probably helped some way. I'm sure that's how they sell the idea. <laughs> yeah. That makes sense. <laughs> Speaking of dance, I know you did a lot of dancing, most of which you've forgotten by now, but <laughs> what, what sort of, what sort of dances did you do? Um, mostly paranatium. It was actually like, I feel like that was like actually my identity growing up was like a dancer. Cause I did yeah. that from ages, what, like, I don't know, six or something through graduation. Um, and it was pretty intense. I mean, like we know people who like had the same dance teacher as me and danced with me, but um, I mean, there was a lot of dance practice, practice at home, like performances that our dance teacher um, put together like big productions as well as like community service performances at different places like in our town and then competitions and um, I mean most of my really good like childhood friendships were also through dance and um, I feel like it also was a way for me to connect with my culture um, and like you know being brown and all that so I feel like I mean, it was great. I think it was, I like look really fondly back at those years because I feel like I had a passion for something. I made friendships out of it and I feel like it helped me like shape like who I am today, Um, especially with my Iron Gate Theorem at the end because I feel like that was like a big accomplishment I had and I didn't feel like that proud of anything else really um, at that point in my life. So yeah, I remember you forced me to watch that Iron Gate too. (laughs) So that was, that was fun. Um, yeah, was it? And you you want to go back to doing that, you said. You were going to try and think about either taking, not lessons, but just learning more dance right now. Yeah, I think, like, I mean, I danced after that. Like, we did Bhangra, and we did, like, different other types of dances. But there's something, like, different about Paranatyam where I think the way my teacher taught it as well um, – like the focus and like the um, kind of artistic nuances behind it and like the meaning behind everything um, just made it a lot more like fulfilling personally. And I feel like uh, also kind of was meditative in some way. Like I feel like it was very calming and like helped me focus on (laughs) just the dance um, and like, you know, my posture, like strength and, um, the gestures, like everything had meaning behind it and everything was like very nuanced. And like, um, we were forced to really focus on, um, certain aspects of it. And I feel like kind of like similar to yoga, like when I, when I would dance, it was very like calming and would make me forget about, you know, other stress and things like that, which I feel like would be helpful (laughs) now. Yeah. I think, there's for a small subset of people, I think that physical, there's a connection between your physical body that whether it's dance or, or yoga, some people get it when they're just working out or running. There's like that connection between what's going on in your head and then using your physical body to make that connection, which I think is for sure. A very, very cool experience. And it sounds like, that's kind of what that did for you, which is mm-hmm. funny because it almost on paper sounds like something that's very, it's very strict. And it's kind of a lot of rules, kind of like, you know, your, your private school experience, but it sounds like it actually helped you a lot, which is really cool. Or do you yeah. want to do it again? So that's, that's always nice. 
yeah I think it helped my work ethic too again in the same way that like it was strict or required focus and kind of like focusing on one thing at a time and doing your best at it. And again, like I was not a fan of this when I was younger. Like I remember I wanted to quit dance when I was seven. Cause I was like, what? Like my parents are forcing me to go to these lessons. Yeah. Like my teacher's yelling at me, like, why am I doing this? Um, so it was definitely something I learned to appreciate more like later on, like in my high school years. And like, obviously when I did my iron get through them and now looking back at it. Um, but yeah. So you actually still have friends from that time period or? Um, yeah, I feel like we've drifted apart mostly. Um, but it was like a special time. It's like similar to us. Like, you know, when you're dancing together, I feel like you form a special bond just from like spending all that time together, being on stage together, practicing together. Um, so yeah, there were special friendships, but I feel like obviously it was a stage in life where a lot of us like changed a lot of us moved on after high school so so. yeah yeah it's funny I was just thinking we've been talking a lot recently about personality types and Myers-Briggs and things like that I was thinking about how I was as a kid and you know was I was I always introverted or is that something that developed later in life I feel Mm -hmm. like there are kids who are definitely shy to just right off the bat and maybe a little bit more socially it's a challenge to be more social even as a, as a kid but I feel like most kids are kind of very uninhibited and talk to everybody and play with everybody and do you yeah. remember having that difficulty growing up um, or do you feel like you were kind of more extroverted is the wrong word but I guess more I don't know did you put yourself out there more as a child or do you kind of feel like you've always been something like this? Um, I mean, for what I remember in childhood, at least for my like recent, I've really bad memory of childhood. <laughs> it's kind of bad, but um, from what I remember, I guess meaning more like middle school, high school, I definitely was like introverted, shy, like not confident at all in myself. Um, and that's like my memory. Apparently my parents have told me that like before kind of, I guess you could say like those adolescent years, like when you're younger than that, they were like, you were super outgoing, bubbly, like all of this stuff, which I don't remember personally. I just remember basically being like a preteen onwards. Um, and that's when I think obviously a lot of, um, change happens with like school and friends and, I feel like I got influenced by society and was kind of like had like lower self-esteem just during those years. And I got more shy, more introverted. And then I feel like in college, I definitely got less introverted. Um, So I feel like there's been ups and downs, but I would say from my own personal memory, I've always been more on the introverted side. Yeah, I agree. I think, I think part of it is very situational. Um, but at the same time, I don't want to think of those ups and downs as like becoming more introverted versus not. Like, I, I don't think there's any sort of negative connotation with being introverted and it doesn't have to be yeah. like synonymous with either social anxiety or, or just not being able to like talk to people. I think that happens a lot, but I don't think that's necessarily true. Not that that's what you're saying. I'm just just saying. No, for sure. I agree with that. I think that comes with my layers. Like being introverted can mean a lot of things. It can stem from a lot of different reasons. Yeah. So outside of dance, I know you had told me that there were sort of lots of other things that you had in terms of creative interests and and writing and things like that. Well, what sort of things did you used to do? I know you said you put on shows and stuff with your brother, but like what else? <laughs> um, I mean, this sounds really lame and it was a really long time ago, but I used to like uh, make songs um, with my keyboard. And I literally, I think I still have a folder of songs that I made with like lyrics and like the piano piece basically. Wow. Um, it was a long time ago. It was very uh, rudimentary, but it was still something I enjoyed. And obviously like not everyone did that. Um, 
And then I used to make little mini like films um, with my brother. I actually, that was another thing I made him do was like either be the camera person or I would like have him do things in like the scenery to like create different effects. And I would like make little short movies. Um, And then I did do writing, like I did creative writing in school and would like enter different competitions, writing contests. I don't know what you call them, but um, I won like a couple of creative writing awards in high school or middle school too. So I was always into that kind of stuff, but again, I was like very young. So I never really truly pursued those things um, since that time. That's a lot of stuff. I mean, dancing, you played piano, you wrote songs, you wrote stories, you filmed things. That's a, a lot. That's a lot of things. I didn't, I didn't realize that there were that many things that you were interested in. Yeah, I liked all of it. I mean, they're all kind of related, right? Just like artistic yeah. stuff. So which one, if you had to pick one of those things now, outside of dance, which is relatively easier to do, but if you had to pick one of those, which one would you wish that you continued or in the future wish that you would spend more time on? Hmm. Not that you have to pick one, but let's say you only have time. I mean, yeah, I think writing just because it comes a little more naturally to me and I feel like is easier to do because you can just sit somewhere by yourself in front of your laptop and just write. Whereas everything else kind of requires a little more, more than that, I guess. And would these be just fictional stories or would this be like creative writing, right? Like something. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Fictional, nonfiction, um, both slash like, um, I mean, I guess things that I've written recently. So I told you about, um, this poem I submitted that was kind of based on like an experience in the hospital. And then, um, right now I actually just started this morning writing another piece for, um, another medical, um, journal too, about, um, just experiences in the hospital, like as a woman physician. So I think more like turning my, and, and then like some of those things had like fiction parts to it just to convey my message. So I think, um, like sending some sort of message or sharing a fiction story in order to convey like my true experiences and um, having some sort of like emotional effect on the reader is basically what my goal would be. That's, I mean, that's really cool. Um, I'm really glad that you're doing that. Do you, writing a poem versus writing a piece, like an experience that you had in the hospital, I mean, how similar are those writing experiences because to me they seem like they're super different and being able to do one doesn't translate to being able to do the other one yeah I think that's true um and I mean I'm no expert so I'm just kind of doing it like however I feel um it's best conveyed but my poem or like poetry I usually focus on a very specific, like very specific experience or anecdote. And I use um, more like provocative, like words or imagery um, to like convey something very like minute. Whereas a story, I feel like um, at least the way I've been writing these pieces, it's more of um, an informal writing piece to just get someone to understand like an experience that I've had or, um, a message that I want to give. So yeah, it's just like different writing styles, but I feel like it comes kind of naturally. I just kind of do it. <laughs> I definitely want to read both of those things that you uh, talked about just now, by the way, but did you used to write a lot for yourself in a diary or something growing up or? No, not uh, really. You just like yeah. to write other creative stuff. Nothing really like for yourself. Yeah, it was always like to submit to something for school. Like we were always right. We always had to write for school. Yeah. So I feel like it was kind of off of that. Like I would find other things like um, writing competitions or like things that were kind of offered through school. And I would write a story or um, I don't know, something 
that I could submit there. Um, and then, yeah, I never really wrote like for myself though. Like I didn't, I wasn't a huge like journal writer or anything like that. Did you have any teachers growing up that motivated you or was a mentor kind of that would help you with all these creative interests or it was kind of just by yourself? I feel like I was kind of by myself. I always like liked English class and I was good at it. And so I always feel like I connected to my English teachers a lot, but there was no one like specific that was like, wow, like they really helped me. Mm -hmm. Now, I don't, do you read a lot? I, I don't think you read I used a lot of to. books. No, used to. I used to. Yeah. I used to really be into Russian literature, which is. Russian literature. Yeah. Like I took a Russian lit class in college and I was in the honors college. So we did like great books and we read a lot of the classics. Great books. It was like right. Rima, Rima's favorite class. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that like ended quickly. I think once I joined MBT <laughs> and like, I kind of like feel like, I don't know. I didn't, I just kind of changed focus. I think it happened in college sometime and um. I mean, it's almost something had, to pick up again. It's, yeah, like I still had those interests, but I it just wasn't it wasn't like a a priority, I guess, anymore. And so I didn't end up I I feel I felt like with med school I ended up reading less and less because I had to read so much for med school that like I would find myself reading for pleasure and yeah. and like and like memorizing the words or like skimming as if I was like reading a textbook. And I'm like, <laughs> this is weird. Yeah. No, that's actually a really good point. I, I do that now with videos with how many lectures or other random videos that we would watch for either studying for step or some class exam and wanting to speed everything up to 1.5 or two times speed. I yeah. find myself kind of losing interest in regular speed. Videos. Yeah, it's bad. Yeah. I wish I, sh I wish I got back into reading um, like I was before, but yeah, hasn't happened. Do you think all of those things you used to do as a kid, I mean, you have almost, uh, a scary, you consume an almost scary amount of television shows. Is that, do you, <laughs> do you feel like that comes from all those creative interests or do you just like sitting on the couch and watching TV? No, I think it comes from all those creative interests. Um, I mean, I think part of it also is like my way of coping with like stress sometimes is just to kind of have an escape, which I think a lot of us do, but I definitely feel like a lot of times, like what I, like when me and Uncle are watching something, um, like something real, not like, you know, the bachelor or something like that. But when we're like watching like an actual, um, like a good quality, you know, meant to be like artistic film or television episode or something like that like what I take away from it is very different than what he takes away from it like I'm like analyzing things and like applying it to like our world and like thinking about what message you know the writers wanted to convey and he's just like so what the storyline was or like was it good was it bad so I feel like we definitely have different um ways that like watching things impact us and I definitely feel like I wouldn't watch that much if it was just for the sake of like watching television I do think I get something else out of it um at least for specific pieces not like you know the dumb shows yeah I think that's I I, I like watching more complicated shows I think a lot because not that I don't like a lot of stupid shows not The Bachelor or whatever the other show I'm <laughs> talking about is right now but I, I like to analyze a lot of things and I like, I think I just like the experience, like just sitting there and experiencing what it's not one person, but you know, that whole team of people have put in to create this whole experience. And it's one thing that I get really mad at Divya about because she'll read books or she'll watch a movie or a TV show and she doesn't want to get too invested in somebody if they're either going to die or something's going to happen in a way that she doesn't like. So she reads the ending <laughs> just drives me crazy. So like, how can you do that? How can you ruin the intended experience? Like, what are you getting out of this? If you're just, <laughs> I don't know. That drives me crazy. 
I do think it's fascinating. Like sometimes when I'm watching something and I'm like, wow, like thinking of like the whole production team, like what had to go into making whatever is being shown in front of us and like the writing, like sometimes I think about like what the script says, like while, while these things are happening and yeah, there's just like so much that goes into it and it's really fascinating, especially with some of the more like artistically done movies. Um, and then when, when movies are like left open to interpretation, I feel like a lot of people hate that, but I think it's like really interesting sometimes. I think I think about that whole team thing too, when a movie or honestly, I feel like a lot of sometimes commercials or some other TV shows when it's really bad, I think to myself, how many people had to watch that, talk about that and say, yeah. Yeah, that looks good. Send it out <laughs> to the whole world. I just, I don't know. Sometimes I think it's, people are a little crazy. But yeah, you it's watch. true. Maybe we should just make TV a TV shows. show. I was going to say, I feel like you have enough experience at this point in your life and the skills to, to write a TV show. Is that something that you considered? Yeah, that's like my dream job. <laughs> that's okay. like what I want to do because I'd be writing and I would be like watching it kind of come to life. And it's not like I want to be on TV. Like that doesn't sound appealing to me, but I think it would be really cool to write something for TV. So why don't you um, do it? I don't know. It doesn't seem like an attainable goal. <laughs> what? Says who? <laughs> like so many people want to do that. Yeah, but I don't know. nobody does it. That's true. Maybe I'll start with just submitting these like writing pieces and then I'll slowly escalate to television. Okay. Yeah. I was listening to uh, this podcast with Charlie Day, um, actually another one with as uh, a bunch of guys from the, it's always sunny. It falls out yet. Nice. And that's like what they did. They basically had uh, a very basic camera and they just wrote this episode and they just filmed it and then it went around and tried to sell it to people. And eventually you know, somebody bought it. So sometimes that's really cool. You don't really I know it's a, that's true. It happens. We'll see. I mean, I've like thought about this literally since I was a kid. So yeah. So you've done enough thinking basically. Yeah. yeah. Time to, time to do something instead. I do also think, um, I mean, don't laugh when I say this, but I feel like I'm like a funny person. Like, I feel like I have an ability to like write like funny scenarios or like scripts but I'm really bad at like executing it myself so that's like the perfect job for me yeah so so to like write comedy so you're gonna do it maybe okay <laughs> that'd be really cool and I think I feel like you would obviously you would love doing it so I, I would love doing it I don't know what's stopping you I know <laughs> one thing at a time <laughs> okay i have been i'm about finished with this book by victor frankel it's about like he has this whole theory called like logotherapy which has to do with finding the meaning in life and this and that and there's these like three tenets and one of them is one of them is basically loving someone and one of the other ones is basically finding something or experience that like gives you meaning and it sounds like mm-hmm all these creative things are what would get you there. Yeah, I think uh, you're right. I think uh, a lot of people know what that thing is, but they're too afraid to, myself included, I'm not above any of this, but I think a lot of people know what it is that would really make them happy to pursue, but they're too scared, too afraid, and they don't know what's going to happen if they try. It's often risky, right? Yeah. That's the problem. It's like, it's a lot of risk. And the For further sure. away you get from being a single person in college with no cares in the world to becoming an adult and stuff like that, the the more risk averse I think we all become. Yeah, I think you're right. I think also it's like, I feel like I have made a good step of like awareness, at least that these other things exist that I haven't really been pursuing. And now I want to slowly start doing them again. Um, I don't know. Yeah, I, I mean, both of us, step. both of us have been in medicine now for for so long, and it's there's no once you get on that track, right? I mean, starting in college, there's really no room for any sort of break. Mm-hmm. Um, I know both of us took a year 
or I don't know how long you took, two years, one year? I took two years, yeah. Two years in between, but still in that time, you're still doing something towards medicine. It's not like you just have a lot of free time to pursue anything else. Once you invest yourself into it, it's, you're pretty much set and you have to, you know, four years of tough college courses and then medical school and residency fellowship. It's, you don't get a lot of time to really think about yourself. You do a lot of learning and memorizing and thinking about other people. And it becomes really easy to forget about all those things that, you know, used to enjoy. And it is a little bit depressing, but that seems to be changing now. I think a lot of people are talking about it, uh, including yourself and people are paying attention to it more, which I think is awesome. Yeah. I think it's also timing and the fact that now I'm in fellowship and I'm kind of looking ahead to the next step, Yeah, which is just life. <laughs> Cause I feel like before it was like, okay. And I've told you this too. It's like all those years we're just consumed by the next step on our path. So like an undergrad, it was like, okay, med school and med school. We're like, okay, what do we have to do for residency? Yeah. We get that. And then we're like, okay, cool. Then we're in residency. Like, okay, what do we need to do to get a good fellowship? And then now I'm in fellowship and it's like, there's nothing, there's nothing after fellowship. Like it's just my life. And then, mm-hmm. um, I feel like I had kind of a moment where I just looked back and I was like, wow, like what happened to my identity and all my interests? I feel like I've just been consumed by medicine and working on this career for so many years that I kind of lost some of this other stuff which again, isn't bad. Like, and it's also kind of what we have to do to get through it. Um, but I feel like with age and with where we are in our career, it's kind of inevitable to start thinking about these things. It is definitely difficult and I'm not, I don't have a solution, but I, I think we talked about this before. I'm very, I'm good at identifying problems and not having solutions, which is a superpower, but there's some, like you said, there's so much emphasis on the next step that you don't get to enjoy the process, which is, you know, it's a complicated way of saying it's, it's not the destination, it's the journey, but like you just, you just get lost in it. You know, you just, you're always looking towards what do I need to accomplish in order to get, you know, that next step. And then you just sort of do those things and it's kind of mindless to some extent which is, is rough when you're looking back at like 10 plus years of your life. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I don't know how to fix that. I don't, I don't think there's an easy answer for that. <laughs> Maybe you can solve it. <laughs> but yeah, I agree. I think trying to look forward into the future, like, okay, I'm going to fellowship and looking at what's going to happen after that. You know, there's no more training. There's no more next steps. It's just yeah. an open field. How... I mean, what are, what are you thinking? Like what, how, how do you tackle something like that where there's so much unknown all of a sudden when you've had so many stepwise equations to follow, like, how do you, how are you supposed to know what to do? I have no idea. <laughs> That's what I'm trying to figure out. <laughs> it's weird, uh, man. Cause like, you're right. I feel like everything was so algorithmic up till now. Like, you do your step, like you fill out this application, you take this exam, um, you get evaluated by your supervisors. And now it's kind of like, okay, you have a million jobs in front of you of all these different varieties. And your only experience is as a trainee and an academic center. So pick one (laughs) and pick what you want to do. Yeah. So I, I don't know. It's hard. And I feel like there's a lot we can do with medicine that we don't really know about because all we're exposed to is kind of like the traditional path, um, which I think isn't super appealing to either of us. But I think like as long as we kind of acknowledge that there are aspects that we like and don't like and we can try to find a job or find a life where we can kind of incorporate um, different things like you know, from creative interest and things like that. Um, I feel like we'll be okay. <laughs> Cause I feel like the bad thing happens is 
like bad things. The bad thing is would be if we kind of ignore everything that we're feeling and just be like, okay, we're going to do this path. Cause that's what everyone else around us is doing. And then like 10 years later, we're like burnt out and we are not happy. Um, which I feel like we are aware enough now based on everything we're talking about that that hopefully won't happen. And we can kind of conform our life and our job <laughs> to what actually interests us. Yeah. I mean, the problem is you keep doing what somebody else has been doing for so long, but nobody tells you how it ended up, you know, <laughs> everybody just keeps doing the yeah. same thing. But then at the end, there's so many people that are unhappy and you don't get to take any of that back. You know, it's hard to, to give that advice to somebody else, you know, let alone yourself. I also do think I want to, and I've told you this too, <laughs> we've had a lot of these conversations before, but I, I think um, I want to do something in terms of like teaching or like counseling or supporting people who are in medicine and like going through med school and training. Um, I don't know. I don't know if there's like a designated role for someone like that. Like I don't have someone like that Mm-hmm. as a fellow um I don't know what you would call it like a coach or a counselor or someone dedicated I guess a mentor but a someone sibling. that's yeah <laughs> but not as like lame <laughs> 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 um to kind of help navigate like career and life and um even like family planning and things like that I feel like would be super helpful to have yeah, and I, I mean, think I would enjoy helping others in that way i agree if the education thing makes a lot of sense i think for you and it sounds like that's kind of what you're doing with your podcast that you've started which i think we're all eagerly awaiting episode two (laughs) (laughs) but uh you're using that you know with with the writing and with with the podcast you're you've you've been going through this whole ivf experience and you're not just sort of sitting back and kind of feeling bad about yourself maybe you did for a little bit, but you know, now you're, you're using it to at least empower yourself and, and educate other people about that experience, which I think is, is really, really cool. And um, again, another way to sort of find meaning in, in what we're doing. Yeah. I think that's been helpful for me with all of this. I guess you call it career slash identity crisis that's been happening to me in terms of, you know, feeling like I'm losing all my interests and um, what, not, I feel like that outlet has been particularly helpful because um, I feel like, like you said, I've gotten some empowerment and fulfillment out of it and it's more meaningful and I'm also writing and um, yeah, I think I've like been a little happier ever since I started all of that. Let's say, let's say everything goes really well and you know, the whole IVF thing ends up working out for you and you, know, you, you get pregnant this and that do you expect to continue to do things like these writing and, and the podcast and things to educate people about about IVF and things like that yeah I think I will um I actually was thinking about that too and I mean there's like a there's a whole like there's like hundreds of Instagram accounts out there that are like similar to mine and that I peruse all the time and I've seen a lot of them are like people who have already had kids but like obviously went through for having their and um yeah I mean it's kind of an experience that never like leaves you and um I feel like there's always going to be something to talk about and like I said too I do want to incorporate that with like helping or at least educating women physicians who are my age and who might be going through training and aren't really aware of a lot of that stuff. So I feel like I definitely am going to continue pursuing it in in some way. I don't know if it'll still be Instagram or what, but um, yeah, I feel like it's a significant enough experience in my life that I don't think I would just stop when I have a kid. No, I mean, that would be really cool. Not to, I know I keep bringing this up, but this book that I'm reading, the man's search for meaning so it's basically it's this guy who was he was uh, as part of world war ii he was in you know, the concentration camps and he survived it talks a lot about suffering and uh, only the inevitable kind of suffering and how 
we each sort of have a decision to make. Like if we can't control that suffering, then all we can do is try to control how we approach them and how we perceive them and the decisions that we make based upon those things. Mm-hmm. So you choose your own attitude in any given set of circumstances. And it kind of felt like you were going through all of those individual stages of, you know, being sad and disappointed and upset. And then now you're sort of in that stage where it's like, okay, you know, this is what it is and how can I make use of this? And it, I don't know, it is kind of exciting as an outsider to see you sort of finding your passion for like education and things like that through this experience. Not that I want you to have gone through this, but uh, I just think it's a really cool example of like, not everything happens for a reason, but bad things happen in life and how can we use those experiences to at least advance, you know, our spirit and, and, and share things with other people to at least help ourselves and help other people. Yeah, I, I can agree with that completely. I think, like you said, a lot of negative stuff can happen in our lives. And I feel like this is probably one of the more negative things that have happened in my life. Obviously, we all go through our own setbacks and failures, like different severities and how it impacts us. But I feel like uh, thinking about it in that way is always good, like to grow from it and kind of try to look at it in some sort of way where you're getting something positive out of it. What if you could give yourself some advice at the very beginning of this whole thing, like what, what would you tell yourself? In the beginning of like IVF? Yeah. Oh gosh. Um, I feel like I'm still like in the beginning of it. Um, it's true. But I don't know. I think, I mean, something I was thinking about earlier too, just now when I was kind of pondering what I'm going to do in terms of work and stuff is, um, probably being more of an advocate for myself, like as a patient and as like a fellow, I feel like, like when I go back to work, I'm going to try to be a little more forthright about everything and kind of asking the administration to help me out with stuff instead of me trying to like figure it out on my own and like take that burden. Cause I feel like we tend to do that as trainees and I tend to downplay kind of what I'm going through. Cause I don't want people to like feel like I'm a burden. Um, but I think that caused a lot more stress for me in the last few months. Um, so I think advocating for myself in that way. And then also as a patient, cause in the beginning I was like completely clueless, but I didn't really like ask a lot of questions. I kind of just like let the clinic do whatever. If like they weren't calling me back, you know, I wouldn't, you know, like, for example, if I was getting my ultrasound done, like, I wouldn't ask any questions and I would just leave. And my friend who went through IVF was like, what, like, you should be being, you should be asking them, like, what did you see? Like, what's the next step? Like, you know, kind of getting that information for yourself. Um, So I think I've like learned how to be a better patient in that way too, which I wasn't doing in the beginning. Um, Yeah probably being a better advocate for myself but again it's been like eight months yeah six months I don't know so it's still uh, I'm sure it feels like a feels a little fresh yeah I know uh, in some ways it feels like forever in some ways it feels like yeah not. I'm sorry that you have been going through all this stuff but I'm, you know, I'm happy to see where you are now it's crazy to think <laughs> this is another one of these you know, shower thoughts I was thinking about, like how each individual decision we make every single day can really change the course of our life, you know, the whole like, butterfly effect. And, you know, people ask me all the time, like, why did you go to Michigan? Like, I, don't, I, I really don't know. Like I had no reason to go to Michigan, but, but I did. And, you know, I got an early and that changed my decision to about where I wanted to go. And then I got there and I was, I wanted to do some dance team and I tried out for Ross and Fundra and then I broke my collarbone like in the first two weeks of school. And I, it just happened that I already, you know, tried out for the, for MBT, but I didn't necessarily finish the tryouts for Ross. So that decision sort of was already made. And then I met you and I met tons of other amazing people and just, it's crazy how everything works out and it's been you know 10 plus years now that I know. I've known it's you crazy it's just 
it's so cool, you know, to think that it's overwhelming if you think about it too much, but it's just, if you look at one specific timeline, at least it's like, you know, that one decision or that one thing that happened. Yeah. Probably, you know, me breaking my collarbone, honestly, probably, you know, I met all these friends. I met Divya. Like, it's just crazy to think that. Yeah. Everything that happens. I know. I'm happy. I'm grateful for how things turned out. Uncle think says the same thing too. It's like, he was like the one person who went to U of M out of all his like community here. Like everyone just goes to UIUC. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it's crazy how it all happened the way it happened. Yeah. Why, why did you go to Michigan? Was there, was it just cause everyone else was going to, or you had like a scholarship or something? I got into the honors college. Um, okay which I didn't, I didn't end up like graduating with the honors college because I didn't want to do the requirements. <laughs> Too many great books. Yeah. Um, but quite honestly, it was uh, like not the school I wanted to go to because um, being at Country Day, you're an overachiever. And I'm pretty sure I applied to all Ivy Leagues and I like, wanted to go to Duke, but I got rejected. And so Michigan was really the only option. Um, okay. And so I went, but obviously loved it <laughs> in every single way. And I'm very happy I didn't end up anywhere else. Was it weird that there were so many people from your school who went there? Um, kind of, but it actually wasn't like, so Farheen was really my only friend from school that uh, I like stayed close with all through college and now. And there was like some people here and there, but I feel like it wasn't like as much of a big deal. I also didn't have like a huge group of friends in high school or anything. Like I had my small group and that was it. All right. Well, thank you for taking time out of your busy sabbatical to, <laughs> to, talk, Super busy. <laughs> to, to talk to me. Uh, this was, it was a lot of fun.